Don't worry because we still have the right to choose in a lot of other parts of our lives, like the right to choose between a pad or a tampon when you're menstruating. One is hamburger style, one is hot dog style. So many choices in your vagina. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and Ron. Yes, you listen to the Sick and Ron. The Sick and Ron, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm one of your hosts, Simon. Hi, I'm Kate Rambo. I'm fucking angry, but I'm here. Kate Rambo. I'm depressed. Hi. You're depressed? I'm angry. What a great combination. We're going to drink a can of Monster and punch through some drywall in about 20 minutes. I guess I'm a bit angry too, but uh, I'm more just kind of depressed and anxious. Anxiety ridden. Okay, Rambo. Over the state of your country or the state of your colon? State of my colon. I'm, uh, I have to get a colon. Who cares about this country? No, <laughs> I'm, I'm just concerned about my colon. I have to get a colonoscopy tomorrow, and I'm dreading it. I'm well, dreading it. Your country is going down the toilet, much like your the <laughs> contents of your colon will. Well, it soon. will be tonight. I'm, uh, yeah, no, you know, I just always, it's one of those things you knew was going to happen. You, knew you had to go to a proctologist one day or something. You had to get a, a rectal exam. It's just something you know is going to happen, but you just don't really think. It's like that you're that age, but I guess I am that age. Apparently, I went in for a physical about two months ago, which is the first physical I've had in like five years, six years. And I was like, you know, I probably am over 45. I probably should go get checked out, see if everything's working well. And so I went in, got checked out, blood tests, uh, cholesterol and all that stuff. And the guy's like, well, have you had a, uh, you know, a uh, colonoscopy? And I was like, no, not 50, dude. And uh, he was like, no, he's like, you know, we, we start doing uh, colon cancer screenings at age 45. Some men start at 40. I was like, 45? The keen ones, the eager ones start at 40. Like your brother <laughs> will be there. <laughs> My brother gets the, uh, the colonoscopies at the bus stop um, back of the 7-Eleven. No, you know, I was just like, I thought you didn't have to do that anymore. And then I asked, I brought it up. And I was like, well, first of all, I thought they do a blood test now. They don't do the rectal exam with the finger anymore. And he's like, well, you know, you actually, it's, there's two ways you can go about it. And I think I talked about this on the show after, um, after I first went for the physical. There's two ways you can go about it. You can do a stool sample once a year. Every year, you take a sample of your stool, you send it into them, they test it. Or once a decade, every 10 years, you can get the procedure that I'm going to have to undergo tomorrow, a colonoscopy. I, yeah, I think it's once a decade because it's an experience you never forget for that decade. Yeah, it takes 10 years for you to forget it, and then it happens again. You know, right. Yeah, and so I was like, well, I guess I'd rather, you know, once every 10 years undergo a colonoscopy than having to scoop, you know, a little chunk of my shit in a tube and send it to you. You know, it's like... Why not? And plus, the other thing with the uh, the the tube, the sample, if they see anything irregular, which they often do, you got to go in and get a colonoscopy anyway. So why not it's just kinda, go and get it done? Yeah, it's kind of like ripping a plaster off. You should do it fast so that there's less pain. So this way, you're just going to avoid having to like handle shit more. 
It's not fast, Kate Rambo. I've been looking into <laughs> it. I, you know, I didn't even really think that there was this much prep with it. I thought I was like, ah, whatever. I just won't eat anything for, you know, a few hours beforehand. No, yeah. no. It's much more complicated than that. It's much more complex than that. And so I, I, I found the, they give you like this preparation document. And so I was taking a look at this uh, for what I need to do to prepare myself for a fucking camera to be shoved up my ass. Is that step one, say a little prayer for me? Is that step I, one? I hope people are. You know, but that's the, this is why I'm angry about it. You would think medical technology would have progressed beyond shoving a camera up your ass. Why can't they take a fucking x-ray? They could do CAT scans of your brain. Why can't they take an x-ray of my lower digestive tract and be like, oh, you know, we see some bumps. We, I think we see some polyps. We're going to have to give you a colonoscopy. Why, did, why do I have to, like, not eat for 12 hours, evacuate myself for, like, six hours the night before for them to go in and shove a camera up my anus? D, I think uh, scientists are maybe just a, a tad, a wee bit more concerned with, like, you know, maybe curing cancer before they worry about the camera in the colon, I think maybe they should be more concerned. Yeah, but I mean, they're doing the same thing. It's, it's, it's cancer prevention. So maybe make some technology you know, that, that catches up to it. Same thing goes with like pap smears. It's like, you know, why do they have to shove, you know, scrape your uterine wall or whatever they need to do to do that? It's like, why not just take a scan? You know, we got the technology now. Let's just perfect it. We have the technology. Yeah, make a fucking app. Make an app that I could just like, make you know, an app. make an app that I could just kind of, you know, shove like not in my ass, but like around my ass. I, I want that on a T-shirt. Make an app. Hashtag D Simon. Yeah. Like, I don't know. You can scan it. They do these things with QR codes. It's like scan the fucking colon like what? a QR code. What? Because our, all our assholes are unique and different. The phone camera will scan your asshole and it will like link to a QR code, which will take you to an app that either says you have cancer or you don't have cancer. That's the future you want. I'm no doctor nor software developer, but I think the <laughs> two of them could work together to make this happen so I don't have to have a camera shoved up my ass. For 45 minutes. It's not just like an in and out kind of thing. It's like 45 minutes of him spelunking through the caverns of D. Simon. Do you not think that'll be fascinating though? Because to see your the insides of your colon and make it out alive, like I would rather see my colon that way than like after a brutal car crash. No, I, I don't think it's fascinating. And and furthermore, I also wonder what kind of person, what kind of human being, <laughs> spends his his career, his job, shoving uh, like yeah. fucking cameras up dudes' assholes. I think that about gynecologists though. At what point in medical school are you like, do you know what? I really want to look at disgusting minging minges for the rest of my life. So I'm going to become a gyno. You know, I can kind of get it when it's a woman because you know your own body, but I really don't get how a heterosexual man could be like, I want to be a gynecologist. This is going to be fun. I want to see some stinkers. You know, this is really going to be fulfilling. It's like, yeah, no, I, it's, don't it. I, I don't get that at all. But I mean, that's one thing. You know, you're looking at a minge all day. Some of them unhealthy, but that's fine. But could you imagine, like, I got to go inside your asshole. Like, how many, how many fucking colonoscopies does this guy do a day? Like, three? That's three assholes a day? He's seen three assholes a day. Three assholes I a, a day probably three works. assholes a day at my day job, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, but he really sees three assholes. Like, he's <laughs> up and deep in that, you know? I just wonder, like, what... At what point in your medical career are you like, you know, I could go into cardiology or brain surgery. I could be an obstetrician. Or I could be a proctologist. Like, who you know, chooses they, that? They said my forearms were really strong and my wrists weren't delicate enough for surgery. So I'm, 
Yeah, I'm going to look in men's assholes and women's. So listen to what I have to do tomorrow. This is what I have to do tomorrow. Um, What's involved in colonoscopy prep? I'm going to scare all the young guys that listen to the show right now. And you know, actually, and women, women have to do this too. I don't know if you have to do it at uh, age 50, but women have to get, women get colon cancer too. So, you know, don't (laughs) think you're immune to this. I think you're going to avoid this procedure. So emptying the contents of the colon is a key requirement for a successful colonoscopy. I know I was kind of, uh, you know, making light of the situation on the second show, saying that I'm going to keep, you know, a few in the chamber. You know, just because I thought it'd be funny. You can't, because if you do that, then he'll go in there and be like, whoa, okay, we're going to have to reschedule and not have to do this whole thing again. Oh, I thought he would maybe like help you fish them out, like give you an enema or something. No? I don't think they'd do that. I don't think they like oh. stick a tube and suck out the poos. No, I think that you have to, they'll send you home and then you have to reschedule. So if the bowel prep isn't up to par, you can miss the, the polyps and the, the cancerous lesions. So then they'll, they'll reschedule it, meeting another round of all the bowel prep. So the way it works, a few days before, you got to start eating a low-fiber diet. No bread, no grains, no nuts, no seeds, no dried fruit, no like uh, vegetables even. And oh my no God. red meat. Like you're, it's, they really want you to start doing this like a week before. The day before the procedure, no solid food. So all day tomorrow, I'm not allowed to eat any actual solid food. I can yeah, but have- come on, D. You exist mainly off smoothies anyways. I don't think you're going I'm not to allowed to have food. even oh. a smoothie, though. Oh, I, oh, right, yeah, because it can't have any of the good stuff in it. No veg. Yeah, the only thing I can have is clear broth, uh, black coffee or tea. Um, I can have jello, green jello. Ew. You can't have anything that's blue, red, or purple. And uh, clear soft drinks, so like a Sprite or a 7-Up. That's all I can have tomorrow for a whole day. And on the day of... Only clear liquid foods. So I can have, you can't even eat, and before the procedure, two hours before, you can't have anything. And so what they do is uh, I had to go there today to the pharmacy and pick up this, it's called like a colite. And it's this uh-huh. like solution. So tomorrow night around six or seven, I'm going to mix water into it to fill it up. And it's, it's big. It's like a fucking gas can. It's a, it's, it's a jug. It's a jug. It's a jug. Like at least a gallon. And then I got to chill it. And then I got to drink the whole thing. I got to drink a glass every 15 minutes. And they said, this is what the, the doctor, I was talking to the pharmacist, like, well, you know, you should probably pick up some medicated wipes, some adult wet wipes with aloe, and uh, wear loose pants because you're going to experience <laughs> high volume, high velocity diarrhea. Your sister is <laughs> loving this. Are you going to ring your sister while you're on the toilet? Because she spends most of her life on the toilet too. Just sounded like Sam Kinison. <gasps> Just, <laughs> yeah. No, it's like it's gonna be like a shotgun blast of diarrhea coming out of my ass for like four hours. You should make you should set your laptop up on like a pile of books and just like put a film on and put your headphones on, like a comfort film, like Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. That'll <laughs> yeah. comfort you. Any movie I watch, I'm gonna hate for the rest of my life. <laughs> Dude, so maybe I should put that on, or maybe I'll just film. sit there listening to Hole. That will help. Hey, leave it. <laughs> Although, every, you know, to be honest, every time I listen to Hole, I kind of get some movements in my bowels. So, you should be nice to me because I'm being very nice to you about your colonoscopy right now, and I'm withholding lots of jokes. <laughs> Feel free. You know, keep on smiling. You <laughs> might have it too. Um, it says arrange for a time and privacy you need to complete the prep with as little stress as possible. If you have children or aging parents, get somebody else 
to take care of them while you're indisposed. It says water can get boring. So uh, so try getting popsicles or jello or coffee or tea or maybe an Italian ice. What's that? What is an Italian ice? Isn't an Italian ice like mainly just like shaved ice? What about coconut water? Can you not have coconut water? No, it says you can't have any. Well, it doesn't really say anything about coconut water. That's clear. Yeah. And it says the uh, the colite is a very bad tasting liquid. So it's like they say add some Kool-Aid powder. No red, blue, or purple, though. Maybe some ginger or lime. Drink it chilled. And then just uh, after you drink, put a lime under your nose while you're drinking it or suck on a hard piece of candy after each glass. Okay, this is where science needs to step in now. It doesn't need to step in to create new things to skip this process. Why can't they make it taste good? At least make it taste like, I don't know, like bananas and sunshine. Caramel or something. I don't know. I mean, you think you could. Like, yeah, make it if, at least somewhat appealing. If they're telling you to put Kool-Aid in it, why don't they fucking put Kool-Aid in it? Here's the other thing. Wear loose clothing, stay near the bathroom. Better yet, once the preparation starts to work, stay oh, in no. the bathroom. Because when the urge hits, it's very hard to hold back. It's explosive <laughs> diarrhea time all day. Consider setting up shop near the toilet with music, your laptop, some magazines, some books. I'm thankful I kind of live, live on my own here. I'm grateful that there's 5,000 miles between us right now and that I'm not in the next room being like, oh, God. You know, I have a white cat, but I think after tomorrow, it's going to be a brown cat. <laughs> <laughs> if I, I feel bad for my toilet. I'm, dr- I'm totally dreading this. The worst part about it is I, I didn't realize that this was going to happen. I didn't think it was this involved, all the preparation. I, I don't know. It's the first time I've ever had this done. And so I got tickets to go to a show tomorrow in Long Beach. So you're going to go to the show and then come home and evacuate your bowels? Yeah, meeting up with a couple friends. They're like, oh, let's go get sushi and all this. And I was like... Yeah, I can't. All right. I have to. I'm not even allowed. The worst part. This is the worst part. No booze. No alcohol. Well, well obviously, of course. No you alcohol. Can... What, what the fuck? Do you think alcohol makes you shit? Yeah, but I think they want you to keep like your bowels totally clear. I, I don't know. I guess it, it uh, dehydrates you too. You have to yeah. keep hydrated. So. You're about to lose a lot of electrolytes. You're about to lose pretty much every electrolyte in your body. <laughs> I wonder if you could smoke <laughs> weed. Probably. You probably could smoke weed, but weed makes you hungry, so I probably don't want to. No. You might actually end up being hungry for the first time in your life after this procedure. You know, that 24 hours without food isn't too tough for me. No, I usually I can only do eat that. once a day. I usually only eat once a day, so it's not that big of a deal. And I guess I can have jello. Did you make sure it's the vegetarian jello, by the way? Um, I think I did get the the kind without gelatin, yeah. Yeah, because gelatin freaks me out. Like, why do you want to eat cow bone? Yeah, fucking gross. Um, Yeah, so I'm dreading it. So tomorrow, I got to go and and deal with this, evacuate myself all night. Um, And then on uh, Monday at 1 o'clock, I'm not even allowed to drive there because I guess they sedate you. So I wouldn't be able to drive. You have to either have someone pick you up or I'll probably just catch a cab. Yeah, I wish but, I could pick you up just to hear the, the asinine, asinine things you'll say. Oh, after being back. violated, I'm going to take a long, hot shower and cry. <laughs> Sit there in the fetal position. Are you going to nourish your body back to health with some Taco Bell? That's the first thing I'm going to get, some Taco <laughs> Bell. And so I might even get that on the way back. And the Uber driver just be like, yo, stop at the Taco Bell. I need to replenish my colon. Get the nutrients uh, back in. God, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm dreading this. 
I am dreading having a camera shoved up my ass tomorrow. But you know what, though? I was thinking about this. It's all selfish perspective. There are much worse things happening right now, as we said before. You know, as of yesterday in this country, um, guns have more rights than women. It, <laughs> you <yeah>. know? <laughs> I mean, what government should ever have control over what you do with your body? It's, you know, it's diet Middle East time. Welcome to America. And I'm moving there. Yeah, no, you're, you're going to get the... Uh, the Taliban actually is now on the Supreme Court. I don't know if you realize that. But. <laughs> um, and then uh, the topic of uh, today's show you know, concerns asylum seekers who uh, travel through Mexico on their way to the U.S. with their families and uh, oftentimes are brutalized uh, by the cartels. Um, brutalized in creative ways, I would say that, but brutalized mm-hmm. you know, and violently murdered nonetheless. So uh, you know, if you think about it, sure. I got to get a camera shoved up my ass, but it's not as bad as, you know, having, um, being brutalized by a drug cartel, with my whole family. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's all perspective. So when I start thinking about the, the other things going on in this world, it's like, maybe it's not that bad. Anyway, before we travel down the highway of death, I want to take a moment to thank all the listeners who uh, support us every month on Patreon. You really are the ones that keep this show going. I'm, you know, Kate and I wish we could do this full time, but we can't. You know, we have, to, we have to have real jobs. So this is really just a hobby for us. And the fact that we actually earn some money to help us pay for the hosting fees and the you know, advertising, all the other expenses for yeah. the show, um, you know, that, that we'd have to pay out of pocket for, it does help. It really does. And we do appreciate the support. So um, let me play this quick Patreon promo and then... Uh, we're going to talk about the, uh, the San Fernando Massacre. Hey, Sick and Wrong listeners. If you're not currently a Sick and Wrong patron, you might be missing out on special moments like this one. I used to write letters to like my like I used to write letters to like Molly Crew and like to Tommy Lee. I, liked. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly who I was writing it to. Wait, do you like, have these letters? No, I, I sent it to the to the to the address. To the what, what did you say yeah. in the letter? Like I want to touch your hair. Like I'm sure it was just I'm sure I don't know. I was in like fifth grade. Yeah, but what would you say? Or to- fourth grade. <laughs> I don't know, like who. Like... You just say, "Man, you're so cool, man." Yeah. I hope when I grow up, man, I'm just like you, cool you dudes, are... man. Yeah, your did latex you pants, man. I did, but I'll say this: Poison. <laughs> poison is the only band that actually sent something back, like a dick. What pit? did they it was, send uh, you Brett, back? Brett Michaels' lock of hair. No way. <laughs> it was like just some, like you know, I don't know. Our, here's our thanks for writing here's a, to it. A list of shit you could buy or whatever, like <laughs> our, pay for our fan <laughs> club or something. Yeah, but at least they sent something back. Like n- nobody else. Wait, fucking Axel Rose didn't send anything back. <laughs> Fuck him, <laughs> asshole. Do you think like uh, Vince Neil still has your letter? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> sure he does. He, he just hasn't gotten around to it. He just hasn't written you back. <laughs> <laughs> it's just covered in cum. Yeah. <laughs> For only $5 a month, you can enjoy these special moments. A bonus news story, extra phone calls, and an hour's worth of outtakes every week at patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Sign up today, support the show, and keep it sick and wrong. Don't you ever think Before we get into it, uh, Kate, I want to say thank you to Jess. 
for uh, suggesting this topic. Uh, Jess messaged me on Instagram and said, please cover this in one of the shows. The whole thing, start to finish, is so wild. She had many O's after that, so. Yeah, I know Jess, and Jess is fucking rocking. Love you, Jess. I love all the Australian listeners, but especially the chicks down under. The fucking Aussie girls do it raw, mate. I love when people send me a topic. Because usually what I, I get a lot of topics. A lot of people suggest things. I'll look into it and be like, oh, we already covered that. Or, oh, yeah, that's not, I mean, maybe it's something we do in a story. But every now and then, you get a gem like this one that we haven't covered that is truly just horrid. Oh, and man, it fits, yeah. it fits the, uh, you know, the theme of the show perfectly. So thank you, Jess, for uh, saying that in. And people, we're totally open to any suggestions you have for uh, topics you want to hear us give the sick and wrong treatment. Anyway, over to you, Kate Rambo. I do just want to start this out by saying that I'm a, we all know I'm bad at the romance languages, so I will be pronouncing Latin names wrong. So D will be jumping in if I say something wrong, because you studied Spanish in school. I didn't. So yeah, I studied Spanish here. in uh, high school and college, so. I'll, I'll give I you, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll give you a hand. Thank you. You can mansplain it to me. Senior splaining, actually. It's juice-splaining when you do <laughs> it. Juice-splaining, sure. <laughs> Violence rages in Mexico. It's more than a decade after former El Presidente Felipe Calderon called for and launched a crackdown on the infamous drug cartels that are basically now as Mexican as, like, what, tacos, sombreros, and working really, really <laughs> really hard um it's felipe not felipe oh sorry (laughs) i mean we just started this and you were already butchering the names who who would name their kid felipe (laughs) Felipe? i don't know i think i just made it Uh, honestly, when we start getting into this, I've, I've been reading about this topic all week and there was times I was getting so like angry about this whole thing. So it's good to laugh, D. It's good to laugh. Oh, it's good. We all know that dead bodies in the streets of Mexico is not an unusual sight. I go on those websites documenting reality. Hello. Uh, there have been more than 300,000 homicides t- since 2006. But mass graves, you wouldn't think are as common but are they mexican drug trafficking groups they dominate the import and the distribution of cocaine fentanyl rest in peace harrison actually the amount of fentanyl seized by mexican authorities basically quintupled between 2019 and 2020 they also bring in heroin marijuana and methamphetamine into the united states mexican suppliers are also responsible for most of the heroin and the methamphetamine vitamin production, whilst cocaine is still largely produced in its traditional home of Colombia and then transported to the U.S. by Mexican criminal organizations. Well, I think it makes a stopover in Mexico and they step on it. And a then little. Like, yeah. And then uh, triple the amount that they have, then bring the stepped on blow to uh, the U.S. for a, a large profit. The cartels, they rule Mexico. Anyone who's seen Ozark knows that. They use their vast wealth and power to pay off local police and politicians. And if you say no, it's a bloody public death for you. Every dog has his day. Um, I would like to give bonus points. You know what? Fuck it. I'll send someone a t-shirt and sticker and stickers if they can count the amount of Scarface quotes that I'm going to sneak into this uh, script here today. Here's a quick history lesson for all you buffs. The cartels flourished during the decades that Mexico was ruled by a single party, the Institutional Revolutionary Party, the PRI. The PRI's unbroken reign finally ended in 2000 with the election of Presidente 
Vincente Fox. Vincente, yeah. close. Vincente of the National Action Party, PAN. And with new, apparently not as corrupt politicians in power, the cartels ramped up the violence in order to regain their hold in power. More than 94,000 people, mainly Mexicans, have also disappeared since 2006, not including the homicides. Although the cartels and the corrupt, like this is through the cartels and the corrupt government. And if you try and investigate, if you try and play good cop or like be a cherub of justice like Jojo, don't be surprised if you find yourself six feet under because after all, you should never underestimate the other guy's greed. No, they're all in the pocket of the cartels. Totally. One of these ballsy people to challenge the cartels and the corrupt figureheads is human rights attorney and overall badass, Ana Lorena Delgadillo. Delgadillo. (laughs) Thank you. Who fought all the way to the Supreme Court to take the Los Zetas cartel to justice. And she won, eventually. But in that, she uncovered probably one of the most dodgy investigations and the cartels in history. The Los Zetas are one of the most feared cartels. They're known for their shock and awe tactics like torture, flaying, castration, beheadings, cooking their enemies in ovens, cannibalism. And unlike other cartels, they don't sit in the protective pockets of congressmen. They actually terrorize their uh, their enemies. The DAA described them as the most technologically advanced, sophisticated and violent of these um, paramilitary enforcement groups. That is true. I mean, that's that's one uh, tenet of the Zetas is that they rule by fear. Um, the group's name, Los Zetas, is given after its first commander, Arturo Guzman de Sena, whose uh, police radio code was Z1. So if you notice, a lot of these uh, you know, commanders of Zetas go Z1, Z2, Z3, Z4. Yeah. So that's a code given to the high-ranking officers. The radio code for commanding federal uh, judicial police officer in Mexico, Mexico was Y, and they're nicknamed Yankees. So for the federal judicial police in charge of the city, the radio code is Z. And so they're nicknamed as the letter in Spanish, which is Zetas. Oh, that all makes sense now. They began as a group of deserters from an elite unit of the armed forces um, at the service of the Gulf Cartel. The Zetas would go on to become one of the most powerful and feared cartels in Mexico. At one point, they were the largest cartel and they controlled the most territory. 40% of Mexico's oil market was controlled by them as well as the drugs trade. And you know what happens when you get the money? Then you get the power. Then you get the women. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the Gulf Cartel was pretty much ruling Mexico along with the Sinaloa cartel, right. which was uh, Chapo, who was in charge of that. And so the Zetas were kind of like this really vicious, violent paramilitary group that was part of the Gulf cartel. They were like the enforcers of it. But then they eventually split away, causing another rift, another civil war. So the head of the Gulf cartel, Usel uh, Cardenas uh, Guillen, he ordered his, after his daughter, this was his daughter was baptized in 1999. He ordered his bodyguard. This just shows you how ruthless these people are. So after his daughter's baptism, right afterwards, he ordered his bodyguard to kill his daughter's godfather. And so um, right after the guests left and everything, Guillen climbed in the driver's seat of his Dodge Durango as his longtime business partner and godfather of his own daughter sat in the passenger seat and his bodyguard, Arturo Guzman de Senas, um, then sat on the, uh, the, the passenger side and he executed the godfather of the bullet to the head. For ordering the execution, Guillen earned the nickname the friend killer 
and Arturo Guzman de Senas earned Guillén's trust. And soon after the murder, Guzman became known as Z1 and would become the founder of the Zetas. You know, the Zs were the uh, elite security detail of the, of the Gulf Cartel, and they evolved to become Mexico's most powerful criminal organization. And so what they did, the, the reason they were so successful is that, um, well, first of all, they ruled by fear, an unprecedented mm-hmm. level of barbarism. No one did. No one executed people in the ways uh, of the, uh, the Zetas. But they also, uh, it was military training. So a lot yeah. of the people, like the enforcers of the Zetas, were like ex-military. I mean, they knew what they were doing. I mean, they were trained killers. And so the presence of the Zetas in the Mexican criminal system raised the bar on professionalism and violence. So rival groups would need to improve their uh, recruiting and training. It just, could just be average guys you're giving guns to anymore. You know, now you have an actual paramilitary group that's committing un- unprecedented levels of brutality and violence. Although that would change later on. It does. Definitely. There is also a female unit uh, known as the Panteras or panthers in the Zetas. These women, they used pussy power to negotiate with military, law enforcement, and political personnel. And in the event that they are unable to, you know, get their desired income, if they are spurned, then they'll just kill you. Like, it's just a bunch of mataharis and good for them. What do they wear? Do they have, like, special outfits? I imagine they wear what the the boys wear, and that's just probably skin like military black outfits, leather. Yeah. And they'll have a whip, and they'll just be <laughs> <laughs> fire machine guns from their tits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's all very complicated, and you would actually need a three-hour, three-part epic film series. Like this whole week, when I've been researching this, there's just spider webs everywhere. I could write an 800-page book about all this. You, you but obviously, you know what's interesting? Not to cut you off, but it, it's interesting okay. that <laughs> you'd think they would have like a Godfather-type thing with the cartels. Like you would have like a story of the cartels, almost like a three-part Godfather type series, but they, they haven't really. You know, the only movies, uh, Sicario one and Sicario great two, great movies about the cartels. And then did you ever see Savages, that Oliver Stone movie? Yeah, yeah, but Oliver Stone, uh, all of his eh. movies you've got to take with a really big pinch of salt. He's much more entertainment than fact. Sicario, yeah. both of them are great. I actually like Sicario two more than one. Yeah, both both those movies are good. But I was tr- I was hard pressed to find another good cartel film, and I think you really could do a movie much like The Godfather with these guys. It's all very good. It's all like The Godfather meets Nazis. That's the yeah. overall impression I get. So to explain all, but obviously when you are the biggest cartel that has swallowed up other cartels in your rise to rule. Like nothing exceeds like excess. Factions will break out, especially in a group that's very inherently unstable with very, very violent people. And all they have in this world is their balls and they're not going to break them for anyone. As of today, only about 10 of the original 34 members of the Zetas are fugitives. The rest are either dead or behind bars for their crimes. Although the cartel still actually uh, maintains control over 11 territories in Mexico. And they're all the biggest territories too. These territories also include San Fernando, which is a city with about 30,000 residents located in the northeastern state of uh, Tamaulipas. Tamaulipas. Yeah. Yeah. Tamaulipas. <laughs> All week, I was like, I'm going to say it right. Tamaulipas is about 85 miles away from Brownsville, Texas. It's kind of on the, uh, so it's on the eastern side, on the Gulf of Mexico side. So it's not the, it's not the Pacific side. So it's yeah. the other side of Mexico, but it's all the way down from Texas 
so that that's kind of where the you know the the highway of death, which we're going to get into, runs down. But it's on the eastern side of the uh, the state. So for all you gore hounds, you demon dogs of death out there, like me, chomping at the bit, you wanting some blood. Here are the bones of the San Fernando Massacre. Not just one, there's two. Here's a quick fun fact. The San Fernando Massacre became the worst known human rights crime in Mexico since the October 2nd, 1968 murder of three to 400 students taken down in the prime of life by government snipers for protesting Mexico's investment in that year's Olympic Games, while the country's laborers and farmers and their families went starving. So Mexico, they invested this uh, ridiculous amount of money for the Olympics, but didn't give anything to their own people who were dying. And so there's a protest, a massive protest, and they just gunned them all down. Yeah, it doesn't. I think that <laughs> kind of happens no, in some of these me. countries. Some of these countries that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds like something Trump would say. What do you call them? Like, uh, that we just don't want people from the shithole countries coming here. <laughs> I'm sorry. There, the roots of immigration, you and I are both immigrants, uh, those bound for the land of apple pie and fireworks on the 4th of July, they're stocked with kidnappers, murderers, rapists, corrupt officials, and in fact, those who start their journey from the South to America have more to worry about than their makeshift boat capsizing or Boris sending them back to Rwanda. You can expect to be robbed, beaten, kidnapped, and raped, Rape is so common in their pilgrimage that doctors actually secretly advise female migrants to have contraceptive injections before they set sail for the land of donuts, Disneyland, and degenerates. Once the Los Zetas kidnapped you, they will keep you in a so-called safe house, but we know there ain't anything safe about it. And they will either send for ransom and you'll be tortured until the cash is ponied up, or you may be initiated to join the cartel in a Scarface meets Gladiator scenario, which is basically where ancient Rome meets Nazi Germany, but there's going to be some sledgehammers involved. <laughs> this is a quote um, from a blog called Borderland B. I spent a long time on this blog. It's like loads of stories from this guy. He's a former law enforcement officer in the US. It's all kind of shady, like nobody knows. If it's, knows yeah, if exactly. It's, it's not verifiable. But I mean, a lot of people have the same stories. Yeah, that's why I think it is so verifiable. It it. So his quote goes, With that, he ordered several of his men who were sitting inside another SUV to bring the sledgehammers, and the men gave a sledgehammer to each man. Should I do a Mexican accent? I don't think I can. <laughs> do you want to do a I Mexican accent? I don't want to hear accent? it. No, you do it. <laughs> okay, listen up, assholes. This trick is this. We're going to pair you in twos, and you're going to fuck each other up with the sledgehammers. And the one who survives, this is actually be good in Cockney, and the one who survives will join us in our work, and you get to live. While the one who does not survive, right, well, you can get fucked. <laughs> and after that, it was probably followed by, like, lots of Mexican laughter. I could see Ray Winston just, like, reading that line off. Um so uh, f this is from the same, uh, that same uh, blog post. Yeah. So after the fight, um, the Comandante gathered all the Zetas and said, um, that's all for fun and game for tonight, cabrones. Bring me all the winners. And they brought the men who had killed their partner with a sledgehammer. And uh, the guy said, welcome to the special forces of the Zeta, the other military. So it's the other yeah. Mexican military. And so this Initiated. is interesting. A uh, journalist from the Houston Chronicle, Dana Schiller, interviewed an alleged cartel member who explained Los Zetas had been using an ancient Roman gladiator blood sport to groom new assassins. 
and to find recruits for their organization. So they're definitely trying to separate like the warriors from the regular people or the people who are all talk. Because this I, is like I meant, Sparta. Yeah, well, I imagine a lot of people are like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the money. I wanna run drugs for the cartel. And a lot of these people like, you know, started as teens and worked their way up. But I think it takes a certain, you know, type of remorseless person, you know, to like beat, you, you know, your coworker to death with a sledgehammer. Not everyone That's can do true. that. But I think if you're in a terrifying situation where you've been kidnapped by somebody, you're given a sledgehammer and told to fight to the death. I don't think there's remorse. Remorse comes into it at that point. I think your well, fighting instinct does. Yeah, but some people, I was reading some of the people, especially the ones they just pull off the bus, they'd be like, here's a sledgehammer, do it. And if they started crying or, or even like hesitated at all, gunshot to the head. They, they didn't even care. It's just like, all right, well, this person doesn't have the willpower, doesn't have the will to, 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 to kill on command, which is what they're trying to do. Nazis did the same thing. Um, the kidnapped victims, usually the people that they pulled off the buses, um, were forced to fight to the death with other victims. Uh, men were given knives, sledgehammers, machetes, and were ordered at gunpoint to fight for their lives like a gladiator-style contest. And so the Zetas would just stand around in a circle watching it, oftentimes like betting on the I, Of fights. course you can be betting. I was about to say I'd be betting if I was one of them. And so the winners, as if they're actually a winner, were then ordered to go on suicide missions and shoot at rival drug cartel members elsewhere. And then the dead, the dead, the, the people who either refused to fight or lost, were just buried in mass graves. Almost all the corpses that were found had evidence of blunt force trauma to the skulls. Um, a, cartel, a cartel member that was on trial that was, um, testified that the fighting contests between the kidnapped victims were ordered by one Miguel Trevino Morales, a high-ranking Zeta lieutenant, and they were used to make the killers lose their fear. That was the point of it. It's a psychological contest. This guy, I mean, he's, he's just a, it's a brutal killer. Um, we'll get into a little more details about him a little, in, a, in a bit. But um, that was his thing. I mean, he just knew he could take somebody. He was really good at grooming people. And he could separate the people who had the will to murder someone in cold blood versus the ones who did not. Um, 100 Zeta recruits were being trained in uh, Ciudad Victoria, and 300 more were in San Fernando in uh, January 2012. Obviously, we were talking about, like, this has all come from this blog post, but because of the lack of journalists in the area, because journalists are killed, it is hard to verify these stories, but they are totally believable. And we have one survivor from the massacre who can confirm basically their antics, what they do. Yeah, I mean, multiple witnesses have said that they push passengers into these, like, gladiator type uh, blood sports uh, with a modern Mexico twist that they call who's going to be the next hitman?" And this guy, this witness said, you know, he saw them cut other people into pieces and throw them into I mass mean, graves. We're still not even really into it yet. And no. this is the level of gore. These, these rumors are now so well reported and known that Amnesty International declared that migrants in Mexico are facing a major human rights crisis, leaving them with virtually no access to justice, fearing reprisals and deportation if they complain of abuses. Persistent failure by the authorities to tackle abuses carried out against irregular migrants has made their journey through Mexico one of the most dangerous in the world. So before the Los Zetas rocked into San Fernando in around 2004, the area was well known for bass fishing and dove hunting. And it was popular with Texans for weekend getaways and vice versa, because the residents of San Fernando would often head into Texas at the weekend and they would go to Walmart and do their shopping. 
But then the Losetas began claiming the town for their own. Yeah, you know, San Fernando is one of the more uh, affluent areas of Mexico. I mean, it's pretty close to Texas. And uh, a lot of, like, um, you know, well-off Mexican people owned, uh, like, huge homes. Not to say mansions, but, uh, you know, it was definitely more yeah. of an affluent city. Using Nazi tactics. Like, this is what I always think when people say, oh, I don't understand how the Nazis were so dangerous. The Nazis worked by, if they knew a Jewish family lived in an apartment building, they would find out who your neighbors were. They would find out who else you knew in that building. And in the dead of night, they would come and not only take your family, they would take your neighbors. They would take everyone else you've ever spoken to in that building, march you out into the street, kill some of you, and the rest are going to concentration camps. That's how dangerous the Nazis were. And the Los Zetas, they kind of took this. They began enforcing their tactics on the local residents, and they pressured them to either help the cartel or they would have to sacrifice their whole family. It's complete Nazi, Nazism. Yeah, no, I mean, it's they, they rule by fear. Yeah. And it worked. One mother gave instructions to her sons on what to do if they were ever kidnapped by saying, if they come for you, do not let them take you alive. We will at least know where you are and we will have your body with us tomorrow. That's like fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> Telling your son it's better for you to be shot in front of your home. But I mean, they have a point because they're going to kill you and probably bury yeah. you in some like mass grave somewhere. So at least they'll be able to uh, mourn your death. I get it, but it's just so heartbreaking that people live this way. It's dark. A group of dove hunters from Houston, Texas. I think their names were Dale, Bill, (laughs) Boomhauer, and Hank. They reported that they were assaulted by a group of armed men. And on the 26th of June, 2010, 15 bodies were found on Federal Highway 101. The Mexican, this is the American one, a.k.a. the Highway of Death. No, we, we looked this up. So there's the 101 that goes through L.A. That's why I was confused. I had to actually yeah. look it up on Google Maps. So we have, there's the 101 that kind of goes all the way pretty much north-south in California. I think it goes all the way up to, uh, to Oregon and Washington. But it sort of I think it sort of stops, becomes the one. But this 101 is on the eastern side of Mexico and, and starts like pretty much at Matamoros, I think, right next to Brownsville okay, yeah, and runs down. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a Mexican 101. But it is called the, the Highway of Death. Yeah. So this is also when the cartels were going for a huge civil war. Media reports at the time were, were that nothing was occurring, but it was completely impossible to cover up. There were gunfights in the streets. Um, Tamaulipas was a war zone. Cartels roamed the roads in convoys of up to 200 SUVs. The cartels uh, themselves, they're decked out in full military uniform and heavily armed. Businesses and houses were burned down. Bodies of enemy cartels were strung from street lamps as a warning. Thousands of civilians died. U.S. missionaries were shot dead in the streets. But it all went unreported, and the blood was just running. Well, I would say unreported by certain papers. But, I mean, you would, you would read. I remember during this time, I would go, like, early 2000s, like, late 90s. We'd go to Tijuana, and we'd go, you know, we'd go down to Mexico. But around this, this period, this is, like, what, like, I don't know, 2010? 2000, 2004 Between 2004 to 2008, yeah, yeah. Uh, when Mexico became extremely violent. It's, like, everyone's, like, you don't want to go to Tijuana now. You don't want to go to, like, Juarez. You don't want to go to these border towns because they're extremely violent. But even Cancun was. Like, uh, I, forget, I forget which club it was, but there was a club where – these uh, cartel members came and just took the skulls, like the decapitated heads of the rival members, and just rolled it right down the dance floor, making oh, their wow. point. 
Yeah, and then and uh, Trevino Mor- Miguel uh, Trevino Morales was was one of the people who was beyond a lot of these uh, these these murders, especially the hanging the corpses, um, you know, from uh, from street lamps. That was uh, that was his, you know, uh, mark. It's kind of what so he old school. It's modus operandi. Seventy-two immigrants, fifty-eight men and fourteen women, all from countries and places like Guatemala. Ec- Ecuador and Brazil, they were traveling through the region, the destination, the country of Humphrey Bogart and James Cagney. Suddenly, they were forced off the road by a convoy of Los Setas as they cut off their route. They were all forced out of their vehicles and they were warned that they were now in the presence of the most dangerous cartel in Mexico. Well, that's the thing. There's no way to get into the U.S. unless you go through Central America. So you got to go through Mexico if you're going to get into the U.S. Uh Um, So oftentimes, the Zetas would just pull over these buses pull the guys out and they would offer the migrants work you could be a coke mule if you're you know female and and you know under 30 you could be a prostitute or you could be a hitman and they would pay them you know kind of a handsome monthly salary especially for a migrant like two thousand dollars anyone who refused to do to be a coke mule a prostitute or a hitman um, we're told they'd have to buy back their freedom or just murdered on the spot well, on this day, they were all taken to an old disused warehouse, and one by one, the immigrants were blindfolded and then handcuffed. The gunman told them to lie, lie down, face down, be quiet, and not scream, because they were going to kill them if they did. In scenes very reminiscent of Germany 1938, the gunman made their way around the room, shooting the kidnapped migrants one by one in the back of the head. A nameless migrant down the line waiting his turn of death, he shouted that he was not scared. Better a coward at home than a hero in the cemetery because he was later found decaying in the pile of bodies. Do you want to say this name for me, D? <laughs> Luis Freddy Leila Pomavilla? Close. It's Luis Freddy Lala Pomavilla. Oh, I say Leila like I'm the kinks. Leila, 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 Lola. He was the only survivor from this massacre, and he played dead um, after being shot in the neck, and then he ran for his life. About 13 miles down the desert, he um, eventually found a Navy checkpoint, and he was placed under the protection of the federal authorities. He said that they had all been killed because they didn't have any money for the ransom, and they didn't want to be hitman for the cartel. The next day, the Mexican military arrived at the warehouse by helicopter, and once Black Hawk was down, an old-school gunfight broke out. It lasted all day. It left one Marine and three gunmen dead. After the gunfight, the Marines found the dead bodies, some piled on top of each other, and this is how they found the first massacre. They also found 21 assault rifles, shotguns, and then other random rifles, along with bulletproof vests, camouflage uniforms and four SUVs, also known as cartel tanks, left behind, including a replica truck for the Mexican Navy. This is how advanced these guys are. Well, and not to mention a lot of these guys had ties to like the Mexican military. Or, totally. You know, where they were working in the military or as law enforcement for the government, but then they realized, oh, I can make a lot more money you know, working for the cartel, or they were just forced to work for the cartel and had no choice because their families would be butchered and murdered. So, but that's the thing. It's like when you, re- when you realize how like heavily armed these cartels are, it's not like you're just dealing with like a ragtag group of uh, ruffians, you know, like yeah. some kind of street gang here. No, they're organized. They're a paramilitary organization with artillery, you know, like impressive artillery. They could, they could take on the actual Mexican army 
You know? They're basically a terrorist organization. Yeah. They basically are. The aftermath of this massacre was surprise, surprise. The local police were in on it. Classified documents have revealed that collaboration between local police and organized crime resulted in the deaths of these 72 migrants. Information shows that the local police worked for the Los Satas by rounding up people traveling by bus, mostly the migrants, and turning them over to the gang who used them for most part as drug mules. Police also acted as lookouts for the gang, and they turned a blind eye to all their illegal activities. This shouldn't really be a surprise in a country that has been built on laundered money, should it? Well, that's the thing. I mean, Mexico, the whole entire government's corrupt. I mean, you could say that about the U.S. too, but I mean, it's I don't know who you could really trust in Mexico. They always say that, like, uh, you know, when you're, you don't want to drive in Mexico because you'll get pulled over by the federales, and they're not pulling you over because you broke the law. They're pulling you over so you pay them. You pay them yeah. off. And uh, I've heard that's what everyone says. Like, if you're going to drive in Mexico, just make sure you have about a grand in cash. This makes me like, I know I shouldn't be like prejudiced, but this kind of makes me not want to go to Mexico. You I'm know, like, I, I don't want to like. I know you've been. I don't want to like, you know, um, make people prejudiced towards going to Mexico. Mexico is uh, beautiful. Like uh, uh, Isla de Mujer, um, where uh, we went for Jer's, I think it was Jer's 40th. My sister got this house. It was amazing. It was one of the better vacations I've had. And then we went, you know, we spent time in Cancun because it's like right across. Uh, it's an island right off of Cancun. Um, where I've been to uh, Carmel down there, and I've been to is it Car- yeah Carmel I think it is, and I've been to Tulum, and it's it's beautiful. But at the same time, yeah, the cartels run everything, and you see it; they're everywhere. And yeah, like- you see, I also don't want to sit on a beach. So what am I going to do in Mexico if I don't want to sit on a beach? I want to be in a bar drinking. Yeah, I mean that's the thing; it's all yeah. bars and and clubs and things like that. But it's like, yeah, I mean it is kind of scary. I mean, we went. I, I remember we went to Chichen Itza, which is like this, the Mayan ruins. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. I mean, it's it's spectacular to go to see these pyramids and all that. And we went to uh, I forget what they're called, a cenote, which is those like natural water pits in the ground. But we're driving around in a van that whole time through that area. At any point. A cartel could just come and like you know pull the van over, and and that's it. I mean that could happen, yeah. and that's a risk, and that's what it says when you pay for the tourists. Like, you know, we're not responsible for what could happen. So it's yeah, yeah. no, I mean it's it's risky, and it's definitely in the back of your mind when you're driving around there. It's in the back I'd of your mind when you're go, at clubs in Cancun. I don't honestly rather go driving around Russia. Not now, you know. Now that I would also about, be scared. guys again. I would be skeeved out about Russia too, because <laughs> like or like areas of Eastern Europe, I'd just be thinking hostile in the back of my mind. But I think if I had to choose, oh, I think I'd probably rather uh, you know uh, be in like Eastern Europe, take my chances oh, yeah. there than in. Uh, D, they they don't America. want you in Eastern Europe, do they? And they don't want me either. <laughs> like we're long past childbearing age. Yeah. They don't want us. Um, 18 people actually were convicted of the abduction of 72 migrants. They've been sentenced to lengthy jail terms, ranging from 13 years to 58 years. But none of them were convicted of the murder of the migrants. I wonder why. I wonder how that could be. Good question. But wait, there's more, D. The next massacre actually began in the United States when the DEA scored an unexpected Expected like coup. A DEA agent got a Mexican piggy to squeal, and a high-ranking Zetas member handed over the traceable cell phone numbers of two of the most wanted kingpins of the cartel. Miguel Angel Chavino Morales. D, 
Did I do, did I do all right then? That's Miguel Angel Trevino Morales. Damn it! <laughs> Damn the Latin languages. Damn them. And his brother Omar. I was quite surprised. I was like, Omar's a Spanish name? Yeah, it's a very common Spanish name. Well, Omar's a Spanish name. I've so, learned something today. Just a little background. So Omar is actually the, the younger brother of uh, Miguel um, and he's currently actually in charge of uh, the Zetas. But oh, Miguel wow. Angel Trevino Morales was much more sadistic than Omar ever was. And, you know, he's, he's currently rotting in prison. Hopefully uh, he doesn't get out. Um, but he was on, he's only like 51 years old, not much older than I am. Um, he's commonly referred to by his alias as Z40 because he's the 40th ranking member in the uh, Zetas. And he's a Mexican former drug lord and leader of the criminal organization known as the Zetas. A violent, resentful, and dangerous criminal. And uh, he was one of Mexico's most wanted drug lords until uh, he was arrested, I think, in July 2013. Very sadistic. Um, he murdered hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And he's responsible for the bodies hanging from bridges and lampposts, hours-long torture videos, and the mass graves in uh, San Fernando of uh, the migrants. You know, I watch like a lot of re- like really gory shit and I watch a lot of cartel stuff as well. So I-, I wouldn't be surprised if I've seen videos of him and just not realized it's him. Yeah, I mean, he would film it and send it over to the uh, the rival leaders of the other cartels. Just pretty much just, uh, you know, forcing, causing them fear. And that's, it's just all fear tactics and uh, intimidation. So Trevino Morales, as a lot of these guys, began his criminal career as a teenager working for another gang called Los Tejas, uh, which is a local gang in uh, Nuevo Laredo, uh, a town inside of uh, Tamaulipas uh, territory of Mexico. He was fluent in English, and he had experience moving contraband along the U.S.-Mexico border, and that enabled him to be recruited in the late 90s by a drug lord who we'd mentioned before, Osiel Cardenas Guillen, who headed the Gulf Cartel and Los Zetas. Um, So Trevino Morales' reputation for extreme violence also kind of helped him escalate in the Zetas. And by 2008, he was the national commander of the group in charge of all their military operations. Wow. So while he was in power, he orchestrated a number of assassination in, assassinations in American cities as well as in uh, Mexico um, by young U.S. citizens that he put on his payroll. And that was one of the things, one of his many talents, uh, he was good at identifying grooming young teenagers who he thought... Um, had the potential to become professional assassins. And so these recruits that they called Zetitas, little Zetas, uh, usually joined the, crime, the organized crime um, cartel as, uh, as young, some, some at like just 10 or 12 years old. And they would start off as smugglers and later work their way up to be paid assassins, trained military, oh. you're trained by the military. Isn't it good, fellas? All my life I wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> Isn't it? It's just good fellas. I mean, yeah. Know? Well, if you think about it, these guys, you know, these kids grow up in poverty, abject poverty, and they see these these, these uh, cartel members right. cruising around in like awesome cars and money and chicks. Of course, you'd want to join join up, be a gangster. What else um, are you gonna do with your life? Nothing. Like sell chiclets and and paint donkeys. That that's the one thing about Tijuana. I noticed when I was there. It's like you see all these little kids. Um, they're almost like little street urchins running up to you and pulling at your pockets and trying to sell you like chiclets, like little gum, like little pieces of gum. Like oh, see, gum that candy. would make me so sad. I would buy the chiclets. But then you'd see, 
the uh, adolescents, the teenagers, would paint these white burros, like these white donkeys, with black stripes, making them look like zebras. Zebras. Yeah, we call them zebras here. Zebras, and then they would be like, they would kind of pull you to come over and and put on a sombrero and sit on the zebra for a photo. And that's how you make money. I would probably pay. I'd be like, here's a hundred dollars. Just give me. The, give me the animal. I'm taking it back to America. And then the other ones become like, in, at least in the border towns, become prostitutes. Prostitutes everywhere there. So I think those are, you don't have many career options. Career options. Put it that yeah. way. <laughs> when you're, especially like when you're impoverished. And believe me, in Mexico City, a lot of Mexicans, you know, they go to college and university and every, and I think you have much more opportunity. But in these border towns, they're very impoverished. And I think it's like, in the, unless you work in a restaurant or something like that, it's, it's really easy to be swept up into uh, the cartels. This. So now Trevino Morales's uh, reputation for extreme violence um, kind of led to was because of uh, of a lot of these rumors and myths about him. But a lot of I mean, most of it's fact. Uh, he was alleged to have favored a torture method known as el guiso, which is uh, Spanish for stew. Oh. Uh, the practice involved making his victim stand in a 50 gallon barrel of water, gas or kerosene where he would either burn or boil them alive. In a lot of cases, the extent of the destruction caused by the cookout um, would basically destroy any kind of DNA samples that could be taken. Yeah, I, I read like a I read a fair bit about that, and they, sometimes they would just chuck you chuck you in an oven. Yeah, there you go. sometimes they'd like, chop you up and just boil you alive. And I mean, sometimes they would put you in barrels and just chuck a ton of acid on you. There you go. Yeah. I mean, well, just destroying no the DNA. body, destroying the evidence. Yeah. I mean, this kind of led to his notoriety as this, like, you know, fearsome villain. Um, he reportedly survived gun battles unharmed. Uh, he avoided making alliances with anyone, dismembered dozens of victims while they were still alive, and dumped them. Um, and he seemed uh, completely unafraid to die. Uh, organization members feared him. Like other people in the, in the Zetas feared him. And they claimed that uh, Morales enjoyed driving around um, the city in the Levo Noredo and, and uh, pointing at people randomly and saying, kill this one, kill that one. And uh, a former associate here, who is uh, Rose, Rosalio Reta, was interviewed uh, in jail in 2011 about his former boss. And he said that if Trevino couldn't sleep, he had to kill something. And that he'd rather kill a cow or a horse than a bullshit deer. What's wrong with deer? <laughs> I mean, love them. They're beautiful. I don't know. I think maybe there's just like An more damage being done if you're killing someone's cow. Um, he also said the drug lord would often ask his victims, how do you want to be killed? Because you're going to die tonight. You know? Peacefully in my sleep, please. <laughs> While uh, I sleep. A journalist here, Alfredo Corchado, head of the Dallas Morning News in Mexico, wrote in one of his books that uh, Trevino Morales enjoyed eating out the hearts of his victims, even when they were still alive, because he believed that doing that would make him invincible among his enemies and authorities. This kind of sounds like, uh, I don't know if people remember when we did um, that episode on General Butt Naked in Africa. Those like uh, terrorist groups in like the Congo and Nigeria that do the same thing, except they're was using that a dressed up as episode. women. I don't remember if it was Harrison or Wackerly. It was a while ago. But General Butt Naked was crazy. The guy would wear like, yeah, I mean, he would have people wear dresses and he would just go in battle with two guns completely naked except for combat boots. I mean, the guy was insane. He would do the same thing, like eat out the heart of his, uh, of his enemies. He wasn't um, Scottish, was he? Was that Scottish <laughs> guy? No, there is that Scottish guy who would go into battle blowing his bagpipes, and he was batshit crazy too. He's a different um, guy. 
Trevino Morales uh, was considered to be the most sadistic of all the cartel leaders. He really gets off on inflicting diabolical pain on people, says U.S. political scientist and Zetas expert uh, George Grayson. But you know what's weird? For, you know, for the notoriety and the fear that this man instilled in the hearts of all of his enemies, his arrest was rather anticlimactic. Like I was, I was wondering, I was like, oh, this guy probably died in a hail of gunfire with this, like, you know, this three-hour battle with authorities. But really, it was rather anticlimactic. So U.S. authorities found out that uh, Trevino Morales was making frequent visits to the Nuevo uh, Laredo border to see his newborn baby. So they got intelligence from, like, wiretaps and informants' tips. And uh, he was apprehended by Mexican Marines in uh, Anahuac, Nuevo Leon, right near the border of uh, Mexico and Texas. This was at, like, 3.45 a.m., July 15th, 2013, without a single shot being fired. Like, he didn't even fight. Didn't even come out with guns blazing. He He went against one of his rules because he's formed connections with people. He's yeah, I know. He had an alliance. He had a, a newborn. He's formed an alliance. Uh, the truck he was traveling in was intercepted on the road by a Black Hawk helicopter from the Navy. And when the nice. Marines got the helicopter, they tried to apprehend him, but he uh, attempted to escape by running through some bushes, but he was later caught. And uh, in his car, because he was driving in, a, I don't know, it was like an Escalade or something, he was in possession of $2 million in cash, wow. eight weapons, hundreds of rounds of ammunition. And uh, two other members of the Zetas were uh, arrested with him. Just that story of him alone is a film. Oh, yeah, no. You could do a story about the Zetas. Easily. So to get back to originally, we were talking about how the second massacre started. In a daring move, the DEA rolled the dice, they clutched their balls, and they made a risky play. Or did they? They shared the intelligence that they had the intelligence that they had with the federal Mexican police, which of course we all know has more leaks than the Titanic on the fourteenth of April nineteen twelve. And I'm pretty sure they knew about that as well. They they had to have. I think they they knew what they were doing. They knew Completely. that because they knew that the authorities would leak it to the, the gang, thus starting, you know, some infighting. You know, and I think that was their, their tactic here. Little did they know what would happen. Oh, I think they knew what would happen. I just don't think they cared. They're too know. busy, preoccupied to get their men. They don't care about who's going to fall. To well, get I don't them. know if they if they knew it was going to be at this level. I, Not I, at this maybe. level. I think I think they knew that there was going to be some deaths. I just didn't know if it, they thought the. I don't think they knew the body count was going to be as high as it was. Right. The brothers quickly found out that they'd been betrayed, and in a move that, again, is practically from the pages of a Nazi tutorial guide, they set about their plans for vengeance against those that had wronged them and everyone surrounding them. Because after all, what is best in life? It's to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamination of their women. That's the war cry day of the Los Zetas. The sun set on another blazing hot day in Mexico on Friday, March the 18th, 2011, Gunmen dressed all in black, their faces hidden. They began pouring into Allende. 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 No, it's Allende, like a Y. Oh, Allende. Yeah. (laughs) I'm still going to say it wrong. (laughs) Which is bang smack in the middle of the country. 
It's like uh, their Coventry. And it was the Lost Satyrs and their outfit, Lost Blood. They took over a ranch outside of town. They killed the family there and then they turned it into a huge uh, crematorium. The rising smoke and the flames let the local residents know that trouble was indeed coming. The firefighters, realizing that, you know, they couldn't fight bullets with water, they tipped the fuck out of town, along with the corrupt police who were well aware of what was about to happen. Moving through the town, they began gathering those on their shit and hit list. Their enemies ranging in age from seven months old up to about 81. They headed north with somewhere between 18 and 300 people eventually being declared missing. Some were sent to meet their death in the grim warehouses in the Rio Grande, forced to fight or die. Others were just burned alive back in the um, Garaza Ranch. Rosary breeds scattered amongst the ashes and bones that were left behind. Why Why were they, the Zetas just going out and killing everybody in this town? Like, did they think that they were, like, someone in this town betrayed them? Like, I don't understand why you're killing seven-month-old babies. Yeah, they're just taking people who were related to the informant. So I think the informant was from, like, this town or nearby. So they're just striking through on their so way. So anyone associated with this, this informant? Well, they were just taking people. I don't even think they had a real shit or hit list. They were just taking kids. They didn't care. They would stop I, you and I, take you. I think this is just kind of like adding to their notoriety, their intimidation. They're just kind of going through and just destroying a whole town of people. It's just, it's like a, yeah, it's just bloodlust at this point. The next morning, which is Saturday, March the 19th, the gunman summoned several heavy equipment operators. They ordered them to tear down dozens of houses and businesses across the region. Many of the properties were in busy, well-to-do neighborhoods within sight or earshot, not only of passers-by, but also of the government offices, police stations, and military outposts. The gunman invited townspeople to take whatever they wanted, and then this started like a free-for-all looting and, and like there was mild rioting. Only 60 people have actually so far been identified, mainly because the family went and looked for their remains. Even six years after the massacre, nothing has been cleaned. Remnants of the lives lost in a violent end were still evident. You can still see all these pictures online. They're like, they're like, they're kind of like, you know, they make you catch your breath a bit. Don't think you can file a missing persons report and expect anything to be done either, because in May 2011, Hector Ronaldo Perez. You can really help that. Thank you. He he filed a missing missing persons report with state authorities. His sister, who had married um, a Gaza, who had owned the ranch that became the crematorium, had disappeared along with her entire family. But a year later, Hector disappeared, and he was last seen in the in the company of uh, Allende police officers. Well, that's the thing. It's like this guy. We'll file a missing persons report with authorities. Authorities then tell the Zetas, and then it's like, okay, we'll just take care of the whole situation. Wipe him out and his entire family. So I imagine he joined his sister. Despite having zero bodies, aside from a pile of like baby and grandma dust, they did have a ton of pressure from outside sources. In 2015, the local government began handing out death certificates, listing causes of death as a neurogenic shock or total combustion due to direct exposure to fire and not homicide, like they all should have fucking read. What is neurogenic shock? <laughs> what, what, is that, that is. a gunshot to your fucking head? I mean, that's what it means. Yeah, more or less. 
This attack on Allende led to the large, largest of the mass grave discoveries on April the 6th, 2011. The largest two graves were 10 feet deep and each held around 45 corpses. Victims were piled on top of one another like haphazardly before the cartel had used a backhoe to cover up their final resting place. These victims, they hadn't been shot. They had all been beaten to death with sledgehammers and clubs. Basically, they're shitty gladiators. Shitty, yes. <laughs> People began to disappear, said San Fernando Prius Ramon Ruiz. Ruiz. Damn it! First it was people with money, and then it was anyone. They kidnapped a local farmer's son and they demanded $10,000. And when he gave them $5,000, which was everything he had, they sent him half of his son. But my question to you, Simon, is this. Which half of your son would you want? That is a good question. Uh, it's, a, it's very biblical, this uh, punishment <laughs> yeah. here. Answer it. Which which half oh. would you want? Would you want the <laughs> I thought that was rhetorical. I thought that was a rhetorical question. Um, well, I, I mean, I guess I'd probably want the upper half if they could save the body, but it sounds like it, it's going to be dead either way. Yeah, but at least yeah. you're going to have something to bury, which is more than what most people get. Yeah, and just burying a couple legs. Another eight mass graves held 59 bodies, and by June the 7th, a total of 193 bodies had been pulled from mass graves. Eventually, 159 of the corpses would be identified, despite their gruesome and grotesque wounds. Not all were migrants. Most of these were actually Mexicans, and lots of them actually became identified through their luggage. There are some, at the time, there were some 400 unclaimed suitcases in bus depots at the travelers' final destinations. The female corpses all bought evidence of rape. The male victims show signs that they were forced to fight to the death against each other. Knives, hammers, machetes, clubs, all being found. And wounds on the deceased linked them back to these weapons. I kind of wish they were using more like medieval weapons, like a morning star or a mace. I like a mace. mace. Mace is my yeah. favorite. A mace yeah. would be rad. That'd be cool. Or like a pike. And like they had, you know, like shields and maybe throwing a couple of tigers. You know what one of my favorite weapons is, and I get excited whenever you see it in movies, like George Nunchucks. A. Romero always has them in his films. Nunchucks. It's just a baseball bat with fucking nails on. Oh, wait, now that's like uh, uh, Negan. I love it. Negan in Walking Dead. Cool. I love it. Yeah, it's just Lucille. a classic great weapon. Oh, like no, it. definitely. I often wonder, though, how do you get the, the nails in it? I've always thought that too. I think you have to use the mega super long nails that you would use for like fence posts, like farmer's nails. But are they have sharp? you ever seen them? Are there a point on both sides? Well, it's still like a traditional nail, isn't it? Because you just hammer it into the baseball bat and then you would sharpen the other end. Oh, you sh oh okay. So you hammer in the nails and sharpen the end to make it uh, spiky. Actually, That's you know what? what? A Lucille that Negan wielded also was covered in barbed wire. So I think it was like nails and barbed wire. Maybe it was just barbed, barbed wire. wire. It was both, I think. And just like all the eighties, all the eighties weapons oh, yeah. from zombie films are great. Just like chains and like all that stuff was great. Bring that back. Come on, Los Cetas. I hope you're listening. I do like the sledgehammer idea. I mean, that's almost a mace. They're brutal. I think they and should it... just give them nunchucks and ninja swords. Oh, <laughs> you'd have been in their battles, just like yeah, oh, no, I'm going to win this. <laughs> <laughs> 
obviously those that did survive this say were the recruited and may still be alive i highly doubt it but at what cost as of now the families of the victims of both massacres are still waiting for truth and justice from both the mexican and the american authorities that were involved and still continue to be involved in this so-called ongoing drug war no one actually knows what set off the Los Atas to start kidnapping people off buses or why they would torture, murder and bury them. Some evidence points towards their extreme paranoia at the time that maybe these migrants and Mexicans were supplying the enemy cartels of information or drugs. Over evidence points towards the need for soldiers in a literally dying trade. Or maybe they wanted to make a point that they were the most brutal and feared of all the cartels. They wanted to strike fear into every town and village in Mexico. The Los Satas, it's a cartel of lost boys who would kidnap, rape, and murder anyone that they liked. The dead to the coffin and the living to the party, as the Mexicans say. Yeah, I, I think it's the latter is, uh, is their motivation. But Mexican authorities uh, speculated that the Zetas may have forcibly recruited the passengers as foot soldiers for the organization, um, intending to hold them for ransom or extort them before they crossed in the U.S. Um, but some killers confessed that they were abducting and killed the passengers because they feared their rivals, the Gulf Cartel, were going to get reinforcements from other states. So I think they were worried that a lot of those people on the buses were going to go work for the cartel. So I think they were definitely paranoid about that. Um, one of the leaders confessed that... Uh, Roberto Lascano, the supreme leader of the uh, Zetas, who did, he died in a hail of gunfire. He went out, you know, and the, you know, he went out like a, like a, a true bandito, as opposed nice. to uh, Trevino, who just like hid in the bushes. Um, Lascano, the supreme leader here, uh, had ordered the investigation of all buses coming in through San Fernando on the highway of death, and those who had nothing to do with it were freed, but those that did, they were killed. And it was up to like the, the thug's judgment as to whether or not this person was involved with another cartel. Yeah, right. Basically up to their whim at that moment. Um, in addition, the killers claimed to have investigated passengers' cell phones and text messages to determine if they were involved with the Gulf Cartel or not. And that they were particularly worried about buses coming in from the states of Durango and Moacan which are two strongholds of the rival La Familia and Sinaleo cartels, which is what Cha um, El Chapo worked for. So I think they were definitely paranoid of who was coming in, but at the same time, they wanted to leave their mark and intimidate these other cartels by you know, killing them in such ghoulish and ghastly ways. So all the migrants that passed through the territory now all had a price on their heads. And the migrants must have known this. Like, it was extremely dangerous to get on a bus and go up the highway of death, the U.S. But if you think about it, you know, they must have weighed that against how horrible it Awful. was to stay in their own country. Yeah, you I know? always say this to people who complain about immigrants. It's not like they're escaping fucking paradise. They're escaping the worst situations of their yeah. lives, where the journey to them is easier than where they're living. You know, the this gamble. Was a better gamble for them than what they already had to live with. And like, we should fucking open our doors to everyone. That's always what I've think, especially well, in this country. Well, whether they could be drug runners or sex slaves, new recruits or ransom payers or cheap labor for the uh, factories, um, but they had become commodities for all the cartels, for both cartels that were, that were warring against each other. And they were easy prey. I mean, they were just families and buses that no one cared about them except for yeah. the loved ones that they left behind who would never find their bodies 
Those who still travel the highway of death, they're not surprised to see burnt out vehicles, bullet torn, broken down buses and dead decapitated body after dead decapitated body strewn along the side of the road. It's a broken state where massacres are yesterday's news. Mayors are murdered on a Monday. Corruption occurs on an hourly basis. And if you're living in San Fernando, your only thought is that every day above ground is a good day. Exactly. That's pretty dark. <laughs> well, a piece of dark poetry there by uh, Kay Rambo. You know, when I was doing my research on this story, um, we actually did do some thorough researching on this. I've um, been doing this all week. I found that avocados are an expensive commodity. So a lot of the cartels are dealing avocados now. They're not really even, they're still warring over drugs, but it's avocados that they're making the most money. They call it green gold. They are delicious, and yeah. they're also nature's butter. Apparently, the cartels are, um, you know, they control all the different farms. They're, the farmers have to, to pay them out, and it's just, it's, they're making almost as much money off of that as they were making on heroin. Dealing right. avocados. Ever, ever since I was in California, and I had Californian avocados, when I came back to Britain and had, a cal- and had an avocado, I was like, this is fucking shite. <laughs> and now British I'm totally avocados. off avocados. They just don't taste the same. They taste like nearly like fake. I don't, it's just not the same. Man. I wonder where they're coming from. Are they growing? Like, where well, you'll have there? you'll have Californian. Oh ones, yeah, yeah. The no ones I'm getting are probably the fucking cartel ones. Maybe that's why. <laughs> I'm just like, no, I don't want these. Well, I mean, a, a lot of the uh, avocados here come from Mexico, and uh, the oh, Mexican the farmers cartel. on the border. Yeah, and the, the cartel avocados. Car- well, the, the other thing, too, about it is I noticed that avocados cost way more than they used to now. I mean, everything does. Obviously, there's inflation, but True. avocados are like double the cost. So I don't know if there's like a, a shortage or a drought or something going on, or maybe just the cartels have jacked up the prices. But it's crazy to me that they've diversified what they deal. You know? I like it. That's yeah, what no, it should be about in modern times. Um, people, this episode 849 here are sick and wrong. Got some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. But first, here's a quick message. Hey, sick and wrong listeners. This is Trucker Paul. I got to tell you about this wonderful porno place where you can buy jack-off machines, dildos, inflatable wives. I bought them all. When I go home, I like to diddle my wife with a, a little dildo. When I'm on the road, I got my second wife, my blow-up doll, and my jack-off sleeve. Go to adamandeve.com. Type in the word diddle, D-I-D-D-L-E, and you'll get 50% off all your masturbation machines. How do y'all flick my balls? I put a spell on you. So we got a few phone calls to get to here. 323-522-4032 is that number. Um, if you want to email us, you can email the show at sickerownpodcast at uh, gmail.com. Um, this first call here is from uh, Glasgow Greg. Glasgow Greg G-G. called us like 20 times. Um, each one successfully drunker than the last. So I don't know where this one fit in the order, Um, but he's talking about his dreams. And I think many Scotsmen have very similar dreams like this. 
Hello, second round. I get the Glasgow Greg absolutely fucked up here. I've got, I've got. I could barely tell. That's Kate. A big ass Kate. I've just been sat in a pub with a lot of Scottish girls, and I've been flung up the stair in a huff. We were talking about dreams, man. Dreams are a weird thing, and they asked me about my most recent dream. In the last few while, the most recent dream I've had is a recurring one that I've been like. All right, I'm kind of getting lost here. He's at okay. a pub. He's talking to some Scottish lassies, and they're asking yep. about dreams. I think they meant like dreams for life and not literal dreams. And he's about to hit them with his like. And I was in a gas chamber, and everyone was dying. And then I woke up. Oh, okay. So that dream is also a wet dream. Uh, oh, totally. I have that nocturnal emission all the time. <laughs> I don't think Glasgow Greg's dreams are dry. Put it that way. <laughs> Feel my balls getting licked. And I've been looking down, man. And like when I wake up, I see like a like a fucking disgusting hobo, man. He's got like yellow teeth and ginger hair. And as I, as I look down, I put my hands on his hair, and he looks up, man, with his yellow teeth, and has a big lick at my balls. And I wake up. And Wait, you have that dream too? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is like the third Scottish listener we've had that had the same dream. I think it's a Scotsman thing. It is. They're just surrounded by gingers all the time. It's their biggest fear. They love to have their balls licked by hobos. What do they call the hobos teeth. in Scotland? Chukters. Chukters. Okay. Uh, Chukters. Only Scottish people are going to get that joke, but okay. <laughs> and That's I explained to them the first time this happened, man, that, that the dog was lying between my legs. And I woke <laughs> up and I almost hit him, man, because I was freaking out. But over the last month, man, this dream has been reoccurring. Even when I'm lying in my truck, sleeping at night, man, I woke up. I felt my balls getting licked, man. It, it feels like it, a little bit. And I looked down, man. Well, I think part of the reason your balls get licked so easily is because you're wearing a skirt. Or what do they call them? A kilt? It's like, wear some fucking pants, dude. Your balls aren't going to get licked through pants. I would love just like all the Australians that are mad that you always talk about Fosters and all the Scottish people who just have the, the, the anger about all the stereotypes you Wearing have about them skirts? to just join forces and come for you. Is it kilt a mini skirt? Because it's not like a full length. No, they're, they're, no, they are full length to the no, knees. But they go That's to why the women, women go crazy when they start lifting them up because they're like, are you wearing boxes or briefs? Right? Because you can't Okay, see. wait, wait. A mini skirt goes to your right above your knee right no that's like a i would say that's an above the knee skirt a mini skirt is basically just below your vagina so do gay scotsmen wear like the mini kilts that like are oh, just mini tartan, their balls? like a christina aguilera tartan it's <laughs> <laughs> so like a really short one and like other scottish men's scottish like oh slot. look at his kilt i can't do a scottish accent but <laughs> i can only do it when i'm uh, yeah, being really high pitched like that, and even then, it's terrible. I don't know why. I've lived near the border for so long. Yeah, so. you'd think you could do it. I, I can't do it. Harrison, Harrison could do a good Scotsman or a good Scottish oh, it's accent. It's annoying. Some people can do it. Uh, I jump and I wake up, and there's like a, a fucking hobo, man. A hobo licking my balls. What the, the fuck do you make of that kit? Uh, 
every car uh, I got ridiculed at the pub. Scottish lassies are very harsh at the pub, man. Oh, they why? took the fucking piss right out me for the whole ball like a dream thing, <laughs> man. I mean, one of those. I guess that's a weird thing to tell, because usually, you know, it's like usually it's women telling you their dreams, and like men just have to like sit and listen to it and endure it if they want to get laid. But it's it's rare that it's the other way around. <laughs> but I imagine like, you know, they they probably didn't expect this dream to come out of a guy. In a Jack Kerouac type way. If I want to tell another person about my dream, I preface it with the, I know you don't want to hear this, but I'm about to tell you about my dream. So that fully gives the other person just chance to shut off. Like, I know you don't want to hear this. I just need to get this out. This is what happened to my dream. I actually had a dream the other night about the KKK crew where we were all driving in a car and one of them slammed into the wall of a church and the other member of the KKK crew just like hurtled out the window, but it was totally fine. He wasn't even crippled or anything. He was. Huh. He got up and was like, "I'm all right, dudes." Did you lick his balls afterwards? No, <laughs> I would lick none of the KKK crew balls. Hot women in it though. Nothing but hot women. Shout out to the spicy women of the KKK crew. There's about a unicorn running through a field. That's no good. Anyway, ask Kate, man. Go ahead, play the fucking music, dude. Yeah, a lot of hope in the background there, man. It's that dog song. Happy tomorrow, I want to settle, settle down. down. Who's this? Maybe tomorrow, I'll just I want to settle down. It's, this, a, it's a dog song. There's a dog involved somewhere. Is this in Ned's song. Atomic Dustbin? Uh, no. Do you know them? <laughs> they were a Scottish band. but you know, I remember that band. It's a dog song. There's like a body collie involved in that song somehow. Is it, wait, is it an old song? I don't recognize that song. It's a telly theme show before my time, but definitely... Glasgow, there's a lot of British people telling me. Is it me a the Scottish name. one or is it a British no, one? No, maybe tomorrow I'll want to settle down. Maybe tomorrow I'll still keep. It's about a dog. I just know it's about a dog. I'm too. Wait, too the old dog that was licking his balls? I think that was actually his dog. But in his maybe, dream, maybe the his dog dream was a hobo. Really that I think if this is an ass Kate, I think he's actually a bestiality fan and he just doesn't want to admit it. So he's putting a human face on the fact that he really likes his dog licking his balls. Okay. I mean, I guess that makes sense. He's trying to rationalize it. Yeah. Isn't it a party trick when men put peanut butter on their balls and then the dog licks it off and everyone acts like it isn't a sexual act, but they do it anyways? I thought, we, I thought there was women that do that. So it looks like <laughs> pussy. Men do it too, man. We used to do it when we were kids. We, we would do it on our earlobes because we're not monsters. We do have dogs looking or hobos. <laughs> both. <laughs> I'm from the north, man. <laughs> it's easy to get both. <laughs> it's an English thing. Um, I don't know, Glasgow Greg. It's a weird dream to have recurring. I mean, it sounds like he has this dream like several times a week. Is there a local hobo that you come into encounter on a regular basis? And do you recognize the hobo is what I'm wondering. That's a good point. Like if you recognize that hobo, there might be something going on there. But maybe mm-hmm. maybe I kind of agree with Kate. Maybe you're put you're rational you're like personifying your dog yeah you know to rationalize your attraction to the dog just ask the cripple to lick your balls more and maybe the dreams will stop god i'm never gonna get drunk and pass out at glasgow greg's house that's for sure (laughs) 
Anyway. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? It sounds delightful. <laughs> uh, next call we have here is from a, uh, a long-time listener. Hey, Dean Kate. Uh, this is a long-time listener. I, I called a couple of years ago offering some mountain therapy services to uh, old Harrison. And, uh, well, <laughs> well they wait, mountain therapy? Is that what you said? Maybe it was like, Harrison, I just want to take you away from the city life and bring you into the mountains and some mountain therapy. That's totally, now I'm actually, that's kind of ringing a bell. That is what happened. He was just like, I'll take you out into the woods and we'll go camping. And I remember Harrison's just like, no, why would I do this? <laughs> but I, that's exactly what it was. He was like, I'm going to take you out of your urban environment and uh, bring you into like a pastoral setting. And the two of them would do like a, I don't know, like a broke back mountain kind of thing. And so Isn't Harrison, what? Because Harris, Harrison always said, "I need to get out of LA. LA is killing me." It's like, well, here's your offer, and Harrison is like, "No." <laughs> I think he would have done no. it if there was some ayahuasca involved. Well, there might have been. We just there could have been. There could have been. I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, I started listening in late middle school and. Now oh I'm finishing God. up my grad degree. <laughs> Jesus If that gives you an idea of how fucking long you've done this podcast. Um, <laughs> I do love hearing how uh, people's lives have just progressed and they're achieving great things. Congratulations, man. Mazel tov. I think that's a huge achieve- achievement. Uh, but it is kind of funny when I hear this. I'm like, wow, this kid was listening to this show when he was in like junior high. And now he's, he's like, yeah, now he's got like a graduate degree. And meanwhile, you don't even want to know what I do for a living. <laughs> do you don't even want to talk the, about like, it. <laughs> you have to think, though, that all these people these last, like, what, 13 years have just had your nasal voice giving them terrible <laughs> advice in their ears every week. It's longer than 13 years, Kay Rambo. <laughs> I know, sadly. Don't need to play this on the show, but I just wanted you to know that I really appreciate the podcast. and <laughs> I really... You know, feel like not that you're old friends because you're kind of miserable cunts, but <laughs> you're more of like old pals, I guess, that I can uh, stop in and see what the hell you guys are up to every now and then. And you're great on road trips, and I just finished driving probably 12 hours listening to about seven or eight episodes. And Jesus. so, anyway, I just wanted to say uh, thanks for keeping up the podcast. I hope you fuckers never stop and keep it sick, keep it wrong. Rest in power, Harrison. Bye. Nice. <laughs> Thank you for that. that does, I want to uh, know what he he's going to grad school for and how he's going to better humanity with his degree. Because my degree in creative writing and contemporary culture, <laughs> which mainly focused on feminism, <laughs> has done yeah, really a, useful the world a you. lot of good. <laughs> if, if you I'm want, a miserable cunt, all right. <laughs> if you want uh, uh, some life advice for miserable cunt. Never start a podcast. Just don't. Just avoid the whole thing. Just don't do it. Don't start a podcast with your wife. Just just move on. <laughs> My uh, the miserable advice from a miserable cunt number two is: don't start a punk band unless you really like making no money. In fact, spending lots of money and playing gigs to no one. He'll never hear your music, and you spend about sixty hours writing songs a week that no one's ever going to hear. And you like the smell of men's farts in a van. Oh, God, that. And you also like sleeping on floors. (laughs) 
I don't think this Stick guy in needs, grad school, man. I don't think this guy needs our advice. He's graduating uh, from uh, from grad school. But it is grad I would like cool. to know what you're what you're getting your degree in. And I uh, appreciate you listening to us uh, for God that long. It is it is kind of staggering when people call in and uh, say that they've been listening to us since like junior high or when they were like twelve years old, and now they're like almost thirty. And I'm just like, fuck, I've been doing this 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 long it's it's hard to to fathom it yeah i don't usually think about it because it's like I've, I've i remember when i first got into radio a dj who i uh respected a lot and was a bit of a mentor for me his name is billy Steele. um i think he died a while ago but rest in peace but billy Steele said you're only as good as your last show a show well that's so, what they say in the punk world dude. yeah and i always that's i've always taken that as a heart so it's like I remember what I did this show and maybe the past show or the couple of shows, but I usually forget about what we talked about, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. And then it's funny when you, when people call in about things like this, I'm like, fuck, I've been doing this a long fucking time. 16 years. <laughs> yeah. I think this is my 17th year. Anyway, thanks for listening. And, and uh, mazel tov. It's a big achievement to get a graduate degree. Oh, it's amazing. Best Congrats. of luck in the future. Um, Final call we have here is actually um, rather apropos from uh, our, our conversation at the beginning of this show. Oh, no. Hey, Dean Kate. This is Tim calling in here. Um, decided to break my my call-in cherry after listening for 14 years. Uh, <laughs> about a, a topic that was discussed recently about Dee's upcoming colonoscopy. Uh, brought back some memories from when I was an undergrad in Philly. Uh, taking some... Way too many courses that I should have, and, and researching on top of that. Um, had a bunch of stomach aches, didn't sleep well. Um, this went on for weeks, if not a couple months before. You have an undergrad. You're like in your early 20s, right? Yeah, but you're also very stressed during that time. You're doing so much stuff. You're probably not getting the right nutrients. I have a either. bit of colitis. Colitis? You got a bit of colitis? You I'm just need make- like a... I'm going to name Every... my next cat colitis. <laughs> oh, what the kid one. we're never going to have because you're going to have a vasectomy. No, my next cat. Oh, next cat. I thought yeah. you said kid. <laughs> no, as if I'm going to have a kid. No, it's not allowed. Kids are no. disgusting. Um, But yeah, you're, you're young, though. You're young. I guess maybe you are stressed out and it's kind of giving you some bowel issues. This is what I was going to say. I think every college campus should have an old Jew there like you to be like, I. It's just colitis. And then they'll just send the kids away or just say, oh, Evay, it's because you're a Gentile. And just just send them away and give what, them just, like... like I'm, I'm like the male nurse that just ridicules everybody's ailments. Just the old Jew there to be like, it's not as bad as what I've got. Look at this on my finger. And then they'll just show something oh, Okay, to put, their, put, to put their misfortune in perspective. Yeah. All right, to, that makes sense. Know, I'd be good at that. How much would I earn? Would I make more money than I do off this podcast? Well, oh, definitely. Okay, all right, I'm in. <laughs> I'm down. I'll do that. <laughs> the college naysayer, sure. Decided to go and get checked out. Ended up going to the ER because I wasn't near my uh, home doc. And, you know, they did a sonogram, no appendicitis. Um, you know, everything else looked fine. They did some blood work, whatever. Uh, and so that... Yeah, but, okay, this kind of, go, this kind of uh, fortifies my point. They did a sonogram, and they did some blood work. I'm totally down with that. Do a sonogram, my colon. 
Do some blood work and say, why do you have to stick your finger and then a camera up my anus? Because a sonogram, I think, is like an ultrasound. It can only penetrate so far. And there's, like, what is it they say when they roll out your colon and intestines? It, it, it can fill a fucking tennis tennis pitch or whatever. Yeah, just, I don't just... play tennis. I don't fucking know. But that's what they say. I would rather a human being looked at it with his eyes and said, yep, that's There's, fucking cancer. It's not like he's sticking his head on my ass and looking at it with his <laughs> eyes. No, I, I think it's like you could just make a better sonogram, like a colonogram, something. A, co- a colonogram. That's what I'm going to call the app. Simon. That's what I'm going to call the app. It's all normal. And then the doc goes, well, you know, the only other thing we have to check before we can let you go because you come in with abdominal pain is if there's any sort of like blood in your feces or whatever. And so he... Who doesn't have blood in their feces? Come on. (laughs) Jeffrey doesn't. (laughs) He essentially asked if he could put his finger in my butt and then they have some sort of test where they kind of smear that on there. Uh, I had gone to the ER with my girlfriend at the time. Um... And I she must have been really turned on hearing all this. <laughs> I would have been like, I'll do it. <laughs> Give me the smear test, doctor. Do you remember Harrison with his itchy anus? What? Did he always have an itchy anus? This is something I no. don't. It's funny how people remember stuff about Harrison because I well, don't you, remember. You, haven't, you only started listening to the show only like a couple of years before he left. So it's like, you know, if you listen to all the episodes... Um, if you go through the archives or whatever, there are periods of time where he's talking about certain issues that he faced. And one of them was an itchy anus. Like, it was a recurring problem that he had. Where well, he like, had worms. I don't know what the fuck he had. But he would talk <laughs> about his itchy anus, and he would ask his girlfriends to, like, scratch it. Well, he even has an itchy anus because he's shaving his fucking anus, and the, the hair is growing back, which causes it to itch. Or he has fucking worms. They're the only... <laughs> fucking two things that can cause it. God, I'm surprised you never merchandised Harrison's anus worms. You probably could have made some money <laughs> off of that. I was just <laughs> maybe it's the Jew in me, but there's an entrepreneurial opp- opportunity here. I imagine Harrison's <laughs> anal worms were like just as like annoyed at life as he was. Just as bitter as he was. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, it's, you know, I don't care if she stays, whatever, like no big difference. Told me to Relax, lubed up a glove finger, and then went inside to no. touch the rest of my lunch. Um, fast Jesus. forward about an hour. Uh, he was busy, I guess. And there was no blood on the, the screen. Told me to take more breaks and rest. And here we are, 14 plus years later. Uh, the, the girlfriend's now my wife, so I guess it wasn't too terrible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See? So that's it. It was Keep a bonding experience. Wow, yeah, God, that just kind of led to uh, to a marriage there. Wow. Um, would you, okay, if you were here and you drove me over to the hospital for my colonoscopy, would you want to be in the room so you could watch it? I've already told you yes, and I would like to hold your hand, and I would also like to watch the video about and see what your colon looks like on the inside. I think it's going to be fascinating, like looking at a tunnel on the inside of Mars. God, there is something deeply wrong about you. <laughs> I do like I do like off. medical stuff. There's nothing wrong with it. I would just be like, oh, D, look at this. It's, he's about to go around a curve. Can you feel that? And you'll you'll just be out of your mind on some like relaxant drug. It'd just be. I'd be winding you up. It'd be funny. You'd be sitting there crying. Yeah, why would no. I be crying? I would be. Uh, no, because it's, oh, the whole experience <laughs> sucks. Why am I no, crying? you're not. not you're going to be crying from laughter at my pain. 
Um, wow, God, Tim, that's a, that's a weird thing. How long were you dating her before she saw you being violated by a doctor at the ER? That's what I want to know. Yeah, it must have been a while for her to be like, oh, I'll come to the that's ER. A, but yeah, isn't that a weird thing? Spend time with you? That's an ask of someone, isn't but it? Isn't it a weird thing to do on like a first or second date? It's very much a bonding experience. So, like, uh, me and Brain Tumor X basically got together because I gave him chlamydia and it it bonded us. I was like, I gave you chlamydia. And he stayed with you? What the? Yeah. That, that, no wonder this guy had a brain tumor. <laughs> I would have been like, as like, soon as we're was, bonded now, bitch. As soon we're as you bonded. gave me a venereal disease, I think I'd have been like, all right, I'm going to get this cured and then we're done. That's it. We're done. <laughs> I was honest about it. I was like, I got it. I I know exactly who I got it off, and I gave it to you. I'm really sorry, but we're bonded. Have you well, still got it? What's I the haven't. bond? The venereal disease bond? Like we both have like pus coming out of our genitals. That's not much of a bond for hey, me. That doesn't happen when ladies have the clibids. We show no symptoms. All I was like, I've taken my course of antibiotics. I don't have it anymore. Have you taken yours? It doesn't Ooh, even itch or anything. It doesn't feel different at all. Only after a certain period of Doesn't time, burn I think it makes you, you infertile, which to me, now that, um, what, thinking you can't get abortions in America is kind of a bonus. So every woman in America in a red state, give chlamydia. yourself chlamydia, wait 10 years, infertile. Good on you. Does it burn when you pee? <sighs> Only when it's done right. <laughs> it's a weird thing to bond over anyway tim thanks for uh calling in and uh scaring the shit out of me just adding to my anxiety (laughs) you really make me feel better thank you buddy um people call the sticker on hotline 323-522-4032 we got to wrap this up kate rambo um as always i want to promote the second show on patreon if you don't know already which you should because we mention it every week we do a whole second show on the patreon it's it's show number two every week it's my favorite thing to do um this week on second show which i do enjoy doing second show actually because it's kind of like very off the cuff sort of like we kind of get drunk and we share to me, some it reminds personal me of from the Ville. things that's why i like it i guess it's more along the lines of, of uh from the bill uh this week on second show we chatted about kate getting a talking to at work from her manager. (laughs) She got in trouble. And then going home and hurting her back while she was attempting autocunnilingus, which I didn't even know (laughs) women could try to do that. I mean, is Kate that flexible? Find out on the second show. Only on the second show. (laughs) I also had dinner with my friend Lenora, who told me about Harrison's Memorial last weekend at a gay Mexican restaurant. So we talked about that. Um, as well as the scandal surrounding true crime podcaster, author, and professional cunt, Billy Jensen. I'm also going on the record here and saying Billy Jensen is a cunt. I've never liked him, and he can fuck off and do what he wants of his life. Quite a scandal going on there, though. And uh, we, get, we, get, we get the deets only on the second show. Anyway, people go check it out. Five bucks a month. That's it. Five dollars a month, and you get two episodes of Sick and Wrong every single week. And for a few dollars more, you get the uh, the bonus episodes. Some weeks it's Overkill, other weeks it's Killer Cooking, which is uh, Kate's new video that she put out. This week, she did a Killer Cooking about Nicole Brown Simpson's last meal at uh, Mesa Luna Restaurant here in Beverly Hills. Uh, no, in Brentwood. 
I thought it was oh, it's in, no, Mezzalini used to be in Brentwood. It's not. It's not there anymore. It's like oh, a it's fucking the, coffee house now, right next door to Beverly Hills. But oh what, man, I've I've spent all week. Did you cook her food. full last meal? Yeah, but obviously I zhuzhed it up, didn't I? Like, I zhuzhed it up. She she ate pasta for her last meal, so I was like, as soon as I found that out, I was like, fuck yes, bitch. It's a good hearty <laughs> like, last meal. Anyway, yeah. you can go check out the video here on uh, Patreon. People sign up patreon.com slash sick and wrong. We do appreciate you supporting the show. It does really help us keep it keeps it oh, keeps yeah. it sick and wrong. It does. Um, also, if you want to buy some Sick and Wrong merch, God, that uh, Make Abortion Great Again tea selling like hotcakes these days. Might <laughs> sell out. I'm joking. I think I sold like three this week. But still, that's a, that is impressive. I do like the idea of people walking around wearing a Make Abortion Great Again tea, especially people wearing that in a red state. If you live in a red state, wear that shirt out in public, videotape it or uh, record it on your phone and send us send us the video cuz I want to see it. <laughs> I do anyone who can count up the amount of Scarface quotes I slipped in tonight in this episode, I will send a t-shirt and stickers to you. So, you got a message. I will. Uh, but yeah, go check it out. com slash shop Click on the picture of the Pope. Buy yourself some Sickerong merch. Uh, finally, here's Sigurong's Song of the Week. Kate Rambo picked this one out. She was searching for a good song that would kind of encapsulate what we talked about here on the show. Um, so she found a band that I had never heard about, never heard of them, but uh, it definitely works. And I'm assuming the Zetas are probably big fans. Sin <laughs> Efectos. And they do a song called Lino Leo, which is a cover of NoFX's Linoleum. Great song. First song off of uh, Punk and Drublick, if I'm not mistaken. Awesome. I love No Effects. Uh, Punk and Drublick's a great album. But yeah. No, no Effects is an excellent band. Um, met them a few times, actually, because they're from, uh, well, I think he, yeah. Fat Mike lives in LA oh, now, yeah, but they yeah. all lived in the Bay Area for a bit. So we used to see them every now and then. Anyway, I was looking at the, uh, the guy who posted this, made a pretty funny uh, description here. He said, <laughs> My cousin found this weird demo tape from a mariachi band, apparently from a town called Caguamas, Arizona. It seems to be a bunch of NoFX mariachi covers, and I'm uploading them one at a time. They're it's, all amazing, by the way. I got to say, it's pretty amazing, and it uh, works well for uh, this week's show. So we're going to end this episode with Sin Efectos Linoleo. Linoleo. It's a hard word to say. Uh, people will be back next week with episode 850. Till then, take a sleep.
Una caguama en mi mano cambió en mi bolsillo. in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. <laughs> 